the antidote. 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 You're listening to the antidote with Dave Hawkins. With Christian music that doesn't suck.
Thanks for joining The Antidote, where Christian music doesn't suck. We have a lot happening tonight as we meet with a band that has big songs, and The Antidote had a big talk with Nat Fitzgerald of Spaceships. The band got busy during the pandemic, working on their just-released album, Ruins. And one thing for sure, this music is not a ruin. We found that out as our first song, Shared Graves, is from that Ruins release. During my conversation with Nat, we explore a few songs from their past releases before we dive into what's new from the band. Let's pull in one of those earlier tracks, Mountain, found on Spaceship's 2017 album, Son of Man. Then we'll head into my conversation with Nat. Fitzgerald is on a return visit to The Antidote. 
Nat, it's good to have you back on the show. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's been a while. It has been, because the last time you were here, we got into the music of your side project, Nativity. But this time we're going to talk about your main band, Spaceships. Yes. Is that where you're most creative? Um, I would say probably. It's a weird sort of thing because each project has its own sort of parameters uh, that it lives inside of. And so Nativity is all solo, mostly studio based. And so I do some live performing with that, but primarily the fun part of that is just, you know, building up all of these uh, atmospheres, you know, in Logic Pro and, you know, combining all these layers on my own. It's multi-tracking one track after another. But then with Spaceships, you know, we play out more or less pretty frequently. And so it's uh, trying to do that in the confines of what can we pull off with four guys playing live, um, which was stretched a little bit on this most recent album because it was multi-tracked. It's the, it's the first record that hasn't been uh, tracked live. And so there is a little bit more going on on the record than would happen uh, in, let's say, on a, on a stage environment. But yeah, so it's, it's a different sort of thing, but it, it definitely does get the bulk of my creative attention. Well, Spaceships has been around for quite a while. What about telling us about how the band came to be? Yeah, so Spaceships is kind of a muddled beginning because it wasn't necessarily meant to be a separate offshoot from the project I was doing before, uh, which was A Rocket Named Justice, which was a solo project that I had been doing in college, though in college it was called Nathaniel Fitzgerald versus the Industrial Revolution, which is more of a mouthful than anybody has the patience to say. I fall asleep halfway through saying that name. So like anybody <laughs> else is not going to have the patience. So I changed it to A Rocket Named Justice right before I was uh, releasing my first record that I uh, was working on for three years in college or so. What's listed as the first Spaceships record, uh, which is I Am a Storm at Sea, it, it came out 10 years ago next month. It's crazy to think that it's been that long. Um, that was conceived of and created and largely produced for the bulk of its you know three-year period to be the second Rocket Named Justice record. I recorded most of that all myself, uh, calling in a couple of friends to do parts that I couldn't do. But then by the time that was ready for release, two things happened. One, I realized that I hated saying a rocket named Justice as well. So I changed the name. And then I also wanted to play the songs out live. I didn't perform too much of the songs from the first record as they were recorded. I would do some solo shows and things like that. But I really wanted to give them some justice. And so I got a couple guys together to help me play. Uh, changed the name to Spaceship. A friend convinced me not to. <laughs> the rocket grew up to be a spaceship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a friend convinced me not to way back then. But then uh, I was like, you know, forget it. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to change the name. I'm going to get these new guys with me. And then as soon as we started playing in a room together, it was a completely different energy. For years, I felt like I didn't actually know how the songs on Storm at Sea sounded when I released the album. Because I, I hadn't heard them played in a room with other people before. I'm coming around to sort of the environment that they were created in and letting that be its own thing. But uh, pretty quickly, Spaceships moved on from this 
kind of backing band that I made for those songs and then started writing songs with that sort of context in mind and kind of grown from there. Well, tell me about I Am A Storm At Sea. As you said, it's been a decade. I've met with quite a few artists who really hate their earlier music. How do you feel about that album now? I have always appreciated it. I've had some misgivings about you know, the mix and the mastering on it. Cause I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just mixing everything in Bandcamp myself and then, uh, you know, bouncing the songs to disc <laughs> and putting them out into the world without doing any extra work after that. But other than that, I think the, the writing of it is pretty derivative of, you know, Radiohead and stuff like that, but it's still a respectable thing. I've always been really proud of that project. There's an accident 
haunt your ghost from the spaceship's debut, I Am a Storm at Sea. I'm not sure if it really does sound like Radiohead or not, and I guess that's up for you to decide. One thing that's definite, the band gets into hard-hitting songs. You'll see what I mean as we talk about the song Monsters off Spaceship's Pillars album. You spoke about having a backing band for this work. Is it still the same band now? No. So the original bassist that joined in a decade ago, the first show that we played, Ben Gooding, actually played drums. It was just me and Ben. He played drums. It was because our our drummer at the time wasn't available that show. Uh, So he just hopped behind a drum set for one show, uh, and then he played bass for a number of years until... Uh, four years ago, I believe, uh, our friend Brett Wood joined in. He plays in my ska band Dad Jokes with me, uh, and we have been good friends for a long time. He was actually in the youth band that I was the worship leader for back at when I was like a college intern. And so I've known him since, you know, I was a sophomore in college. He was a sophomore in high school. He had moved away and then moved back to the area and we reconnected and we played with his old band and then he joined dad jokes and then he filled in for Ben on a couple shows that he couldn't do. And then after a point, it was just made more sense to bring him in and move Ben over to guitar and keys. Cause Ben's not actually a bassist. He's just a guitarist and keyboardist that I threw a bass at. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, drums on the record that are coming out now were played by Joel Sanchez who had been with us for a while, but, uh, he just recently has, uh, left the band as well. So we, we've got a new drummer in we're at, as of this point, we haven't played a show with him yet. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're excited to see where that goes. That's a, a friend of ours named Devin know him a lot and work with him a bit. And he's just a great dude. So we're excited. Well, this is pretty wild. What you've been saying, you've got dad jokes, a ska band, and then you're doing nativity, which is really more folky oriented. And then you got spaceships. I guess the style of spaceships may not really suit everybody because it fits into a bit of a niche genre, post-gaze. Well, that's a made-up term. <laughs> I get that, though, because it is sort of shoegaze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, because it was... Okay, give us the honest opinion of your sound. Well, it is like a lot of post-rock and shoegaze like in there but it's you know we're not instrumental so we can't really call ourselves post-rock and then also shoegaze in the strictest sense a lot of shoegaze is just pop music with really loud fuzzy guitars can be yeah but you know if you take away the the layers of noise from loveless if you play my bloody valentine songs on an acoustic guitar it almost sounds like the beach boys um you know is, is just this pretty mostly pleasant pop music but it's just drowned in all this stuff. But we're also a little bit more vocal forward than most shoegaze bands, which is not something that I do intentionally. I just, uh, you know, grew up listening to emo and post-hardcore. And so it's something that's just been in my blood. If I could exercise a a modicum of self-control, we would maybe be a little bit more instrumental than we are. But my brain just writes melody lines to everything. I hear what you're saying, but your vocals are always there, but they always seem to be a little bit more subdued. It's a little more in the background, and the instruments drive everything. Yeah. Uh, I feel like the balance that we struck here on this record is something that I've been trying to work toward 
as a songwriter. Because in the years that I was just doing this kind of solo, folky, alternative thing, a lot of the time I was just playing by myself with an acoustic guitar in, you know, a loud bar or a loud coffee shop for open mic nights. And I kind of had to learn how to yell over the crowd noise and, you know, <laughs> over the clinking of glasses. Well, yeah. You know, cause people are talking and, you know, not everybody's there, you know, to pay attention to open mic night or whatever. And so I learned to, uh, grab attention how I could just by, you know, really belting it out. And it's something that has kind of infiltrated my writing of vocal parts. I've been trying to get away from it because so many of the bands that I love and listen to aren't super vocal forward. They're, you know, they are a bit more buried. They are a bit more subdued. And so it's been a, a discipline to do less. <laughs> like it's, it's, <laughs> but that has been something that I've been trying to intentionally work towards. Uh, and I feel like I, we struck a good balance on this one. Well, something that you do more of is the length of your songs. I mean, Spaceships has to be the least radio-friendly band that I've ever heard. <laughs> These are hugely long songs. Many of them are. You find that they need that extra time to tell their story. Um, I think that's where a lot of the post-rock influence comes in because, you know, there is this, this sense of, you know, building an atmosphere and building a... A sort of structure to kind of exist in uh, for a little bit. And so part of that might be because the tempos are slow. <laughs> so, you know, some of these songs might be much faster if they were just played a little more quickly. But because the BPM is 60, you know, it kind of takes a bit longer than, <laughs> than some other songs. Have you ever thought about doing ska versions of spaceship songs? Um, <laughs> the joke came up at one point early on in dad jokes where there's the idea to kind of do ska covers of because almost everybody in dad jokes is in multiple bands and so there was the idea of doing ska covers of other people's songs <laughs> but that would be hilarious <laughs> let's talk about spaceships music you guys have put out quite a few releases over the past 10 years you know and really it's too bad that tonight we're only going to have time to touch on a couple of them but I do want to bring in something from your 2020 Pillars release. Monster says, I hear monsters outside my door, and they're sniffing me out. I see their fangs as my name hangs from their terrible mouths. So, I don't know. You're not talking about neighborhood coyotes. No. So, what inspired this? Uh, so, around the time that Pillars was being written, uh, I'm on staff at a church uh, that also was planted about 10 years ago. Actually, the first uh, storm at sea and the church plant both happened the same weekend. But when the songs that became Pillars were being worked on, uh, there was a tragedy that rocked the church. Uh, there was a, a our pastor. Uh, we, we had been founded by a husband and wife couple who were co-pastors and uh, the husband had a had an affair, and so for you know several months after that, we just held on to what mattered and tried to see, you know, if this community would remain in a year or six months or or another ten mm -hmm. years. Uh, it's been six, you know, so we've been we've been doing all right, but monsters really is sort of a reappropriation of the feeling of trusting somebody 
that then is just like, oh, no, actually, you're now, you know, a, a, not a great person. You're maybe actually pretty harmful. So, you know, not that he was actively trying to destroy me personally, but, you know, seeing a lot of the damage that was being done through the lens of our remaining pastor uh, and then, you know, seeing how uh, the larger church body was being affected by it. The moment that you brought up is sort of a transition moment because earlier mm-hmm. on, it's just, you know, you call me and I follow sort of idea. And but then it's that idea of, OK, well, what happens when the person that called you out that you went to follow has now become somebody who could destroy you? And so that's where that lives.
Last year, Spaceships put out the Retrove EP. I had to look up the word, and it means to find or to meet. Or found, actually. The, the, the set tense that it's being used with, that was a discussion that I had with Sarah Maloney from Analecta. Yeah, it's found tense there. And how did you choose that word for being the title for that split that you did with Analecta? Um, part of it was kind of tongue-in-cheek. Uh, those songs on our half of the split had been floating around from the you know, Tiny Fires and Pillars days. They had already been old songs at that point, and we were trying to find someone to do a split to do the other side. And we went through a few other bands that had committed to doing the the other side of the split with us. And then, you know, for various reasons had to step back. And so, uh, after a point we were just like, you know, we've been playing with Analecta since the very beginning. I was even playing with Analecta solo. You know, I recorded Analecta's demo in their old guitarist's basement 13 years ago. Why haven't we just asked them? And their drummer is in dad jokes as well. And also books at the same coffee house that Brett and I do. And so, you know, it's like, why didn't we just do that? So there's a little bit of a tongue in cheek of, you know, we finally found somebody, you know, to put these songs out. But then the other half of that is not necessarily my story to tell. But uh, Sarah from Analecta has uh, a pretty significant period of self-discovery where she felt she finally was finding who she is, you know, in a way that isn't contingent on the people around her, you know, things that she's been told about herself, but to actually find her true authentic self. When we said, oh yeah, that's absolutely where we should go, uh, is around that idea. Also seems like a natural thing to do since both spaceships and Analect are both from South Bend. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Pat and Sarah both live about six blocks from me. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of easy to get together then. Yeah. Well, you know, I've always found split releases interesting, but is it helpful to each of the bands involved? I feel like it's more a communal sort of thing. The old punk rock origin story of split releases was that it's cheaper for two bands to go in on one release than for each to go and do their own. And that idea has sort of persisted it, you know, it, it it created this emblem of, you know, the punk scene of these splits, because I don't think splits really exist too much outside of the underground realm, you know, kind of the DIY roots of it. Uh, as you are a band for a while and as you play with other people and um, unless you're a studio project only, you're rubbing elbows with other bands constantly. And so uh, just the opportunity to cooperate and to collaborate with uh, another like-minded project that you are feel a kinship for uh, is just a just a privilege and a joy this is nat fitzgerald from spaceships and you have been checking into the antidote
As you heard, Spaceships has been busy the last couple of years. We just had Gaze from the Retrovase split with Analecta. Now it's time to head into the latest and greatest from the band, as Nat and I speak about Measure from Ruins. You and I have been talking about your past music. Now Spaceships is out with your new full-length, yes. Ruins. Something about your other full-lengths is that they carried a theme. Was that also your plan with Ruins? No. And a lot of those themes are mostly accidents. Uh, it's, you know, these albums, none of them really are written with the intention of, you know, start to back, let's write a full cohesive thing it's you know i'm working on you know sometimes dozens of ideas at a time and fleshing those out and some of them fall apart and some of them keep going and some of it get reappropriated later um but then you know the things that i'm walking through at those times all make their way in and so because the songs are written around similar times these are the things that i'm wrestling with these are the things that i'm enjoying perhaps maybe i'll one day i'll write a record about the things i like at that point uh that hasn't happened yet um this and this isn't the record <laughs> but you like the dark side <laughs> yeah it's you know these are the dilemmas that i'm facing at the time uh these are the questions that keep me up at night and so my lyric writing uh is maybe subconscious i'm not a very active lyric writer Typically what happens is I will, I always write the music first uh, and then I'll just kind of mumble melodies over them until some of the mumblings I'll pick out like a consonant here or there. And then, you know, some of these consonants link together to form a word. And then I'm like, oh, so this is this word. What else is around there? And then, you know, all kind of falls to shape and, you know, it's more the sussing out the silhouette of the lyrics that are behind there as if it's, you know, an entity that exists separate from what I would put to paper if I were just to sit down and try to write something. That I never would have expected because that makes it sound disjointed. And that certainly isn't the case with a song on the new album. I'm often finding your faith comes true in your music, whereas sometimes it's kind of in the background. But you really made it up front on measure. Yeah. That song is angry and it's powerful at the same time. When they all cry out for help, whose voice do you listen to? Yeah. The lonely and the desperate, as long as they acknowledge you. Do you cry when priests and senators do cruel things in your name? Or if you were here, would you do the same? What got you so fired up? Well, you skipped a word there. Um, <laughs> there's, I did. There's some spicy language there. Well, tell you what, you carry on about the spicy word that I axed <laughs> out of the song. Um, yeah, so there's there's a, a spicy word that's been omitted from there. And uh, you asked what it was that got me so fired up. There was actually a thread in, uh, I think it was like old school tooth and nail records or maybe the labeled podcast or something like that, where there was a conversation about different bands in the quote-unquote Christian sphere that have used mm -hmm. profanity. And there was a person who said, well, I just feel like that's lazy songwriting. I read that and I felt, brother, if you have not ever been to a point in your life where mm -hmm. you, know, you can only express the true feeling in your heart through strong language, then you maybe have had a pretty uh, protected life 
then just kind of was left with the kind of thought experiment of like, well, what would it take to get me there? What would be something that would get me angry enough where that's the that's the only way to express it? And that's where it came from is, is just the idea of how people so eagerly and loudly mischaracterize God to their own purposes uh, and are trampling on the marginalized in order to do that and saying that God would call it good. That that seemed to be the thing that got my ire. Okay, so the reason for you then including the F-bomb was really just to be more emphatic? Or were you just really trying to, <laughs> I don't know, push people's buttons? I think that I couldn't be honest about it any other way. <laughs> That's where the question lives in my heart, you know, is in that level. And does this mean now that you're going to write me off since I pulled that word out of the song? Oh, no, I understand. <laughs> Justify the means I heard you're close to the broken hearted Tell me who the hell are they Said the censored hell by preacher For gay teenage runaways Said the girl who feels her body is never fit And tries to change Mother that cries, you don't make mistakes
I still question whether the F-bomb is worth hearing on any artist's song. That was my edited version of Measure, with that word removed. Next week on The Antidote, we go to the UK to meet with Zach G. Wilson. His sound is R&B blended with hip-hop, but the key to his music is that it's centered on his faith in Christ. He's also an artist that could easily be a crossover into the mainstream market. Tune in and you'll see what I mean. Okay, time to head back to Nat Fitzgerald and hear more about spaceships, why Ruins is definitely their best yet, and how the song Spilt came to be. See you next week on The Antidote. Now, Spaceships hasn't made Ruins an easy listen because these are challenging songs. You know, actually, maybe uh, contentious is actually a better word. Some contentious times. (laughs) Well, you do. You find that in the song Spilt. It talks about paying the consequences for saying the wrong thing. I think there's a lot of people who could care less about that, but it looks like maybe that you do. Yeah, that was pretty early on in the pandemic. We're dealing with, especially from the context of my church, uh, you know, we're trying to figure out we're in a community with people. How can we keep that community going? And so much of it just moved into the online space. You know, and then people are also trying to meet outside and stuff. And so there is still a men's small group that was meeting, you know, doing bonfires together. And Mm -hmm. a lot of those relationships were very fractured towards the beginning of the pandemic. We had a pretty diverse body of viewpoints. And there were, you know, people who were pretty outspoken (laughs) about their given viewpoint. (laughs) It was when the pandemic video started making the rounds you know, there were, you know, memes criticizing it, which were also, you know, dismissive in their own right. And some things that I had said online that I didn't realize were, you know, kind of targeting these people that are very dear to me, who I disagreed with very strongly, but there's not that nuance in the online space, which is, you know, what uh, our song chat room talks even more specifically about that. I think it was Phil Vischer on the Holy Post podcast uh, had a metaphor for, uh, you know, how his dog will look out the window and see another dog and just is so angry at this dog. Like, how dare this dog come near my house? Whatever. He just bark, 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 bark. Just mad, mad, mad. But if he were to see that same dog at the park or on the sidewalk or somewhere else, he would Mm -hmm. be super happy to see him. He used that as a metaphor for, um, you know, when we're just communicating with our communities only through, you know, our phones or our tablets, you know, if we're just looking through these screens at our people, we see a lot of the same things because, you know, they might share things that we don't agree with or they might come from different talking points that we don't think are very valid. And so we forget the humanity of the person sitting across the screen from us a lot more readily there than if we were in person with them. I think all of us encountered spots like this where people just had very different viewpoints Mm -hmm. and it was a matter of just whether you were willing to let them maintain their beliefs in whatever route it might be. 
Yeah, and that, and given that, you know, social media is just not a great debate space. It's not a great place to exchange ideas with much nuance. You know, you just get lumped into, you know, there are two sides and this side believes this, this, and this, and this side believes this, this, and this. And so because you believe this, you must believe that. And then, you know, sooner or later, you're, a conversation about one thing becomes about all these other things that don't have any bearing and are also aren't accurate to what the other person might believe or think. Um, but it's an easy, it's an easy trap to get into. You know, it's the zeitgeist of our time. Okay, then for you personally, did you regret saying what you did? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. You know, and I and I apologized a bit later. You know, there was a very dear friend of mine. You know, we've known each other for a very long time. We've been in the same small group together and it got to the point where he blocked me on Facebook. <laughs> you know, this isn't where we're supposed to be. <laughs> you know, this isn't how this this deep friendship that I have isn't supposed to be in this spot. And so we made it right. We made amends. Uh, there's a, another line in chat room that kind of hit on that, which is, you know, a little tongue in cheek, but it's uh, brother. I didn't mean what I said. At least I didn't mean you to hear me, <laughs> which maybe feels a little more, uh, a little more apt to my attitude a lot of times than I want to admit. Well, I should get you to sum this up, Ned. What kind of expectations do you have for ruins? Oh man, I don't know. I um, I expect that there will probably be a few people who are excited to hear it. As of this recording, we dropped. It'll be two weeks tomorrow, and we have amassed just about fifteen thousand listens at this point on that track, which is about eight times more than our previous top track <laughs> in the whole lifetime that it's been on. There's some attention to it, which is kind of remarkable because, you know, you can see those numbers on a screen and, you know, have an idea about what that is. But, you know, if you see the the number like, you know, 11,000 listeners, it's a really weird thing to think like everybody who lives in my grandparents town has listened to this song. Like every <laughs> every individual in Yale, Michigan has listened to this song. It's just like, oh, that's that's a different sort of context. So we are uh, pressing it to vinyl through Friend Club Records. So those should be in hand shortly. But yeah, uh, we're we're expecting, or at least hoping, that people want to hear it. And at least some of those 15,000 plays will translate into <laughs> people wanting to check out the rest of it. Well, they've got to get it. And thank you so much for making such a beautiful album. There is almost a lot more of it. I tried really hard to not write an album during COVID. You know, I finished the Nativity record. I was uh, joined a remote band. I even at one point tried to record my high school band's EP that we never recorded. But then the pandemic just kept going. Um, but I ended up with basically enough songs to make a double album. And, you know, had it been financially feasible to do a physical medium for it, it would have been a double album. You just have to save it. This is the Ruins album. Yeah. And the next songs are going to be the new construction album. <laughs> There's, some of them are even more ruinous <laughs> than these songs, though. <laughs> well, Nat Fitzgerald has been on The Antidote. Nat, thanks so much for sharing about spaceships. Yes, thanks for having me back. <laughs>